2,000 years ago, God's son came to show the Father's love that he has for this world lost in sin. Helping the hopeless Jesus won the victory that we could not win. There is no greater love than his sacrificial death that set us free. If he so loved us, we must love each other just like Calvary. Gotta love each other like the Lord. Gotta love each other like the Lord. Love, love, love. When we were without hope, with life we could not cope. The Father's love gave us life and all that Jesus won. When we were dead once, the Spirit joined us to God's one and only Son. We're married to Jesus, our Savior, whose sacrificial death has set us free. If you so loved us, we must love each other just like Calvary. Gotta love each other like the Lord. Gotta love each other like the Lord. Love, love, love. Love, love, love Love, love, love Love, love, love Gotta love each other Gotta love each other Gotta love each other like the Lord Gotta love each other Gotta love each other each other, gotta love each other, gotta love each other like the Thanks, Titus. All right, good evening to all of you. Could you turn your Bibles to the book of Romans? Romans chapter 15, verse 14. Romans chapter 15, verse 14. We're going to uh, 
begin a study of verse 24 of this chapter. And we're going to find out that Paul in this verse tells his readers that he confidently expects to visit the Roman believers while passing through whenever he is allowed to travel to Spain. And so remember, his ultimate destination will be Spain. He just wants to stop by in Rome and uh, spend a little time with them before his ultimate destination would be Spain. Of course, he can't go to Spain, he can't go to Rome until he delivers this gift that he, he mentions later on in this chapter, the gift that he, uh, he, he uh, basically taken from the churches, Gentile churches in Macedonia and Achaia, and he's going to deliver this gift to the Jer- poor Jerusalem saints. And he's going to do that as a, as a token of uh, the Gentile church's uh, solidarity, with the, solidarity with the Jewish believers and also to demonstrate the Gentile church's love for the Jewish uh, believers. And uh, so Paul is, as we, as we saw in the past, and we'll see it again, that was ended up being a dangerous situation for him to go there. And he went there by the guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit, even though the Spirit told him that he would be incarcerated because of this trip. He went anyways. And uh, we've, uh, we'll see this evening that he is uh, going to be, he's confident that he's going to go to see the Roman believers. And uh, there's a lot of de- debate whether Paul got to Spain and whether, and we know he got to Rome as it records in Acts chapter 28 as a prisoner of the Roman government. But uh, he did get to Spain. We know that because of the language he uses in this verse. And uh, so uh, one of the, one of the, one of the benefits of going back to the original languages, and I've mentioned this many times before, is that the translations that we have are great. There's a lot, they're good guides, and it's good to have multiple translations. The NIV is good, the New American Standard, for different reasons. And uh, the, the NIV is more of a, a dynamic equivalence. They, they get the sense of the passage. They're not trying to be as literal. The Net Bible is kind of a bit of both. ESV is more in the lines of a literal translation. So there's different theories of translation. There's also the paraphrases, like the Living uh, Translation, Living Bible Translation, which was very uh, popular in the 70s. And also now today, like the Message Bible is a very uh, is a very popular translation. However, none of them are perfect because no translator, most of these, most of these translations are done by committee, not by one individual, and uh, that they're not inspired. So you have to go back to the original languages if you really want to know what the Spirit says uh, through the church, uh, to the church. So this is... Tonight we're going to find one of the, we're going to see one of the benefits of going back to the original language because if you look at your English Bibles today, I know Joan's here. You can you can still talk, listen to me. She's going to sit down here, and you guys can, can still watch me. Oh my gosh! So so huh? No, it's not your fault. But the uh, so what we see is that when we look at this word hope this evening in Romans fifteen twenty four, the word hope has as I many, as I mentioned many times before, the word hope has this uh, connotation of doubt. We say, I hope, you know, she goes to dinner with me. Hope has a a measure of doubt in it, obviously. But the word that Paul uses in verse 24, Alpizo, is actually talking about confidence, a confident expectation. So we see that, uh, you might say, well, why does the the word hope used by the translators? Don't they know that what you know, Bill? Yeah, they know that. Then why do they use the word hope? Well, there's many reasons. One, uh, they want their Bibles to sell. If they happen to take, if they end up having a, a translation and somebody, you know, a lot of the fa- people have these favorite verses and they're very, very um, conservative and they're very hesitant to change a translation, even though it's inaccurate, they feel, it, they are very hesitant to do that because they think, they'll think it'll affect sales. Remember, these guys have publishers 
And so they're, 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 many times they don't have the moral courage to go out on their own, or if they do have it, they're hindered by the committee. One genius in the bunch could be hindered by a, a, a conservative group of individuals. So that's one of the reasons why they, they don't p- translate it as confidence, or to have confidence, or the word LPs, help, hope. Instead of translating it hope, translate it confidence or confident expectation. They don't do that because people are used to this word hope, and they won't have confidence in their English translation if the word has changed now to confidence or confident expectation. And I really don't care of, of the public opinion. I have to do what I, you know, my congregation, the translations I give you. In fact, when I'm done with the book of Romans, the translation of the whole book will be available to you, all you guys. It's actually available on the website if anybody cares to download it. We have a lot of people downloading from that. But uh, my whole point is to try to tell you what it says. That's my responsibility. I'm not trying to sell a bunch of Bibles. I don't have a publisher to worry about. That's one of the great things about, you know, just copyright your stuff, put it on the internet, and you're ready to go. I don't have to answer to a publisher. So uh, this is, uh, this is going to be a very, we're going to see the benefits of going back to the original language here this evening in Romans 15, 24. And uh, what's great also about this passage in, in this section of Romans 15 is Paul's given us insight into his ministry and actually what he was going through at this particular point in his life. And uh, we'll be bringing this out more this evening as we go further into this chapter. So, without further ado, with our uh, let's prepare ourselves to hear the teaching of the Word of God. And remember, we're going to listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. And remember, the pastor is simply the instrument that God uses to communicate his message to the church. And that's why it's important that I'm filled with the Spirit. I'm in fellowship with God as well as you. I never assume that anybody walks in here that they're already in fellowship with God. They might not be. And uh, in the meantime, you might have since, you know, since talking to me out in the foyer, you got out of fellowship for all I know or something, or you talked to somebody else. So this is a time we take a moment of silent prayer to ensure the fact that we're in fellowship with God. We do that by applying 1 John 1, 9, which states, If we confess our sins to the Father, He, God the Father, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins with the result that He purifies us from each and every wrongdoing. And we maintain that fellowship by bringing our thoughts into obedience to the Spirit, who speaks to us through the teaching of the Word of God. If there's anything that's bothering you, disturbing or distracting to you, do what 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxieties upon the Lord because He cares for you. So in the privacy of our very own royal priesthood, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for another day, another day of Bible doctrine, another day to learn of your plan for our lives to be conformed to the image of your Son, and not only another day to learn of that plan, but also another day to learn about who and what you are and who and what your Son is in the Spirit and what you've done for us in the past and will do for us, uh, doing for us now and will do for us in the future through both your Son and the Spirit. We thank you, Father, for uh, bringing us all together here in Iowa, Prairie View Christian Church, and we thank you for all the the answered prayers over the years and all the deliverances from all the adversities as individuals and as a corporate unit, as a local assembly. We thank you, Father, for this, uh, the people that you've raised up that are serious about the Word of God and that are here, in particular those who are here this evening in the chapel 
and those who might be listening right now on Paltalk and the internet at a later date. We thank you, Father, for gracing us out and treating us in a manner that we do not deserve. We know that we have no merit with you, that we're saved by your grace and your grace policy through faith in your Son, that we're not saved on our own merits or by keeping the law or being moral, that we're saved based upon the merits of of the object of our faith, Jesus Christ. And we just thank you, Father, for that. So help us now, Father, through the, uh, the power of the Spirit and the Word to operate in this grace and this love that you demonstrated toward us. Let us operate in that same love and grace toward each other. And when we disappoint each other and we wrong each other and we hurt each other, whether real or imagined, that we operate in love, that we operate in forgiveness and toleration and patience with each other, and just as you have done with us through your Son, Jesus Christ. We know, Father, we don't want to be hypocrites and say that we love Jesus and we love the brethren when we can't forgive our brothers and sisters in Christ. We know that we're living in a lie. So help us to see that and not to be involved in hypocrisy. Help us to keep our eyes focused upon you and your son and not on our problems and difficulties or our hang-ups and and all that. That we could be not self-absorbed and involved in self-justification and self-deception. Help us to concentrate on your son and being obedient to you, Father, and your Son, Jesus Christ, and learning our Bibles, and growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us in this ministry to order our priorities correctly. We know that there are many in this congregation that have uh, done that, but there are many who have not, that are still thrashing around in the devil's world, having one foot in the devil's world and one foot in your plan. Help us to see that true happiness and joy is staying in fellowship with you and, and fellowshipping with the body of Christ and uh, gathering together with other members of the body of Christ to worship you and your son. So help us, Father, to see these things. We know you're patient, patient and you're gracious to us always. And so help us to not uh, take advantage of that grace and uh, exploit it for our own selfish reasons, but to use that grace to, uh, to grow in, 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 in knowledge of you, Father, and more in, obedient to you. Every, each and every day and each and every moment of our lives. And we pray, Father, this evening that you would help those in the audience to concentrate. We pray that nobody in the audience will do anything that's disturbing or distracting to those who are serious students of the Word of God or to the communicator himself. Help all of those to concentrate, that the Spirit would give them the application this evening of the message and help the communicator to deliver your full counsel to your people so that they would be ministered to and you and your Son, Jesus Christ, would be magnified, and that all of us, with one voice, both Jew and Gentile, male and female, would glorify you and your Son, Jesus Christ. So, Father, we pray for these things in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, as I said before, we're going to continue on, forge ahead with our study of Romans chapter 15. Remember, we're in the final section of this Roman epistle, which began in verse 14 of this chapter. And uh, we finished the main argument and uh, uh, pretty much the doctrinal section. Actually, there's some, still some doctrine left in this chapter, and there's some doctrine in chapter, six, uh, chapter 16. And so we see that Paul, at this particular point in the epistle, is giving his travel plans. He's giving us insight into his ministry. He's given us his opinion of the Roman believers, his, what he, his, uh, his attitude toward ministry, what is the secret was to his successful ministry, to his prosperous ministry. I'm not talking financially, but spiritually. He's going to also give us some insight into his travel plans and where he was at this point in his life. As I've been trying to bring out, Paul is at a crossroads in his life with God. 
every single one of us at some point is going to face crossroads in our lives. I have, you will, and all these crossroads are very important because God always wants to advance us. And many times we can hinder our growth by saying no to what God wants. Paul is sitting in Rome at this, uh, sitting in Corinth at this time, composing this letter. It's 57 AD. He's about ready to go to Jerusalem. And he's taking this gift from the Gentile churches that I mentioned earlier, this gift from the Gentile churches that he established, that he evangelized and he taught, that gift of monetary and financial aid to the poor Jewish believers in Jerusalem. He's bringing this gift because of Saul. he wants to unite these two groups. There was racial trouble between Jew and Gentiles many times in the early first century church. So as a part of the, a token of these Gentile believers' love for the Jewish believers, to soften the Jewish believers' heart to the Gentile believers, Paul is going to deliver this gift. And so there were many people who were suspicious of Paul in Jerusalem. Remember, he was the champion of Judaism. He betrayed Judaism in the eyes of many. And even some Jewish Christians were suspicious of the Apostle Paul. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been in a, in a situation where people are suspicious of you without a cause. Only based upon hearsay, they get suspicious of you. Paul had to deal with that. And Paul was going into a powder keg. God the Holy Spirit was going to lead him to Jerusalem with this gift and he knew full well, the book of Acts tells us, Acts 19, 20 and 21, that he would face danger and even a death, a, a, a situation where he could face death. That's why in this epistle in Romans, he solicits the Roman believers' help. I want you to pray for me because it is to rescue me from the disobedient in Judea. So there were people who wanted to assassinate Paul. Of course, those prayers were answered and he lived. However, he became a prisoner of the Roman government and approximately 60 AD, he arrived in the city of Jerusalem, uh, city of Rome, to, for his appeal before Caesar because he was a Roman citizen. He could make his, appeal his case to the emperor himself and he did just that. So for 60, 60, uh, the years of 60, 61, and 62, he wrote the prison epistles, Philippian, Ephes- Philippians, Ephesians, Philemon, Colossians. Those are the prison epistles. Those were his first, that was his first Roman imprisonment. And so that's what he eventually does get to Rome. The book of Acts, Acts 28, records his entrance into Rome and his evangelizing the Jews there who were unsaved and also teaching the, the believers there in Rome. The church in Rome was predominantly Jewish in composition. So here's Paul and he is talking in this, in verse 24 this evening, we're going to see in the first part of Romans 15, 24, he, we see that Paul writes that he confidently expects to visit his readers in Rome while passing through whenever he's permitted by the Holy Spirit to travel to Spain. Now remember, the Holy Spirit, as I've been trying to bring this out, he is not mentioned really in the passage at all, but in the passive voices of the verb, and we're going to see the passive voice of one verb this evening, a divine passive, the Holy Spirit is that unseen member of the Trinity that was guiding and directing Paul's life, and he is guiding and directing our lives. And remember about the Holy Spirit. A lot of Christians are very, don't know what this, uh, how to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's guidance and direction. It's usually because of immaturity. And, and, and when you grow in your grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ and you go through adversity and prosperity, when you go through difficult situations and you come out and you can see God's hand on these things, learn those lessons because this is where you learn how the Holy Spirit speaks to you. He never ever tells you to do anything that contradicts the word of God. He'll never ever tell you to do anything that contradicts the word of God and he'll never ever tell you to do anything that pleases the sin nature 
or uh, uh, says to go and be seduced by the cosmic system of Satan and going after approbation from people and money and career ahead of your relationship with God. The Holy Spirit will never, ever tell you to do anything that's going to hurt your relationship with God. Never. He'll never tell you to get into a relationship with anybody unless he'll never tell you to do that. He'll never say anything that'll cause you to go in a, in a situation that'll take you away from his plan. Now, the Holy Spirit not only speaks to us through the word of God, but people. Paul is a perfect example of that in Acts. People were coming up to him saying, this is what's going to happen to you. And they said it through the Spirit. Also, the Holy Spirit speaks to us through circumstances. He will bring in people and circumstances, and he'll speak to you through those circumstances and people. For instance, the floods in 2008. If anybody was listening to that message I had on that day, I'm telling you right now, there are some people who are getting talked to by God with that disaster. Some Christians who are positive were advancing to further, to greater growth, uh, greater growth, spiritual maturity. Other Christians were being rebuked for their lack of effort in their relationship with God. Yes, God does discipline. And the unsaved, he, was bring, he brings in disasters many times to make them wake up to see their need for the Savior. And this country is getting hit and a lot of people are not responding, the unsaved, and even Christians are not responding to the voice of the Spirit which can be heard through these different trials and tribulations that our country is going through. And the wake-up call, if it's not listened to, it's gonna, the country will end up being destroyed eventually, just like other nations have in history. So being sensitive to the Holy Spirit is what Paul is. And Paul is going to tell us his confidence that he's going to visit a group of people, the Roman believers that he never met. He's confident that he's going to get to Spain. How did he get this confidence? He heard the Holy Spirit's voice. He was sensitive to the Spirit's voice. And, he, and, and the way you get sensitive to the Spirit's voice, I've mentioned some ways, but the main reason is, is to learn your Bible educated in the word of God, and that's how you develop a sensitivity to the Spirit's voice. If you want to get the highest and best for your life that God has planned for you, and he has planned great things for all of us, you have to learn, learn your Bible. You have to be educated in the word of God. You have to pay the price. If you don't, you're only hurting yourself if you don't. It might cost you sleep. It might cost you relationships. It might cost you money. But what's more important, money, relationships, or your relationship with God? And as Jesus said, you know, uh, deny self and take up your cross daily. And we see Paul also. Another thing we've been bringing out. Paul's being it was gonna, is told to go into a situation that is very dangerous. That most people were trying to tell him, don't go to Jerusalem with this gift. Because you're going in, to get incarcerated. You're going to suffer Hey, Jesus was told by Peter after Jesus said, "You're going to go to the. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be mistreated by the leaders of Jerusalem." And then Peter says, "No way, Lord. No way. It's going to happen to you." And what did Jesus say? "Get behind me, Satan." Not that Peter was Satan, but the devil was speaking through Peter. Peter was emotional. Peter loved him, but the spirit said, "You got to go to the cross, Jesus." And the same thing with Paul when he went to Jerusalem. They were telling him, we don't want you to go. You're going to suffer. You're going to suffer. He went anyways. Jesus was told to go into the devil desert by the Spirit. Luke 4. A tri trials and tribulations awaited him. He went anyways. Sometimes the Spirit will bring you into a situation that is uncomfortable for you. He will do that 
in the life of a church. He'll do that in the life of your individuals, of individuals in the church. That's what the Spirit does. He tests us. How many times have I told you that the, you, everything that we learn, will you be tested for? And if you miss classes, that's your fault. You miss classes that might have helped you face the adversity that you're in now. So listen to what the Spirit is saying to, the, to, the, to this bald-headed guy, to this church. We need to listen, pay attention to what the Spirit's saying to us in the Word of God. Paul did. Now, Romans 15, 24, the very first statement there, Paul writes that he confidently expects to visit his readers in Rome while passing through whenever he's permitted by the Holy Spirit to travel to Spain. Notice he wouldn't go anywhere unless the Spirit told, he was told by the Spirit. Look at verse 14. And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to admonish one another. But I have written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, or because I'm a servant of Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God, the items that he mentioned in verse 16. For I will never presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about, as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Don't miss that last statement. It's the key to what, uh, what Paul says later on. He finished the task. He evangelized. He planted churches from Jerusalem to Illyricum, which is in the northern extremity, as I'll show you a little bit, northern extremity of, of uh, the Roman Empire in the first century. That, if you measure that, it's like 1,400 square miles. And he did more than that because he went into a, uh, uh, he went in a circuitous mo- uh, movement. He went from roundabout, stop here, go back here, over here. He was church planting. He was making sure these churches are on the right track. He was sending his emissaries. And uh, we see that Paul went, uh, uh, did this and he church planted. He never built on another man's foundation. And he finished this. So he's writing this from Corinth in 57 AD. And he says, I've fully preached the gospel of Christ from Jerusalem as far as Illyricum. Now, we see that that took about 20 years because Paul was saved in approximately 35, 36, 37 AD. We can't be sure. But Jesus Christ, we know that because Jesus Christ was crucified, died, buried, raised, and seated at the right hand of the Father in around 33 AD, most scholars say, 33, 32. Paul was saved a couple of years after that, if you read the chronology in the book of Acts. So let's say it's 37 AD to be, uh, that he was saved, Paul. And he was given his commission to go to the Gentiles in around that, in that year, that same year. Well, in 57 AD, he's writing this epistle from Corinth to the Roman believers. That means he took, it took him 20 years to church plant in all those Roman provinces. And we've seen that he went through hell to do that. As we saw in 2 Corinthians 11, and he went through suffering that no other evangelist in the history of the world's ever gone through or any pastor. He was a gritty man. He was a tough man. He was a tough old Turk. And he was tough as nails. They don't make him like that anymore. However, Paul would be the first to tell you, as he says in this passage, that the, way he, the only way he was able to do it 
was the power of the Spirit and Christ working through him. That's how he was able to accomplish so many great things under such great duress and the attacks of the enemy. Leaving us an example to follow. That all things are possible with God. That you can do with anything in life with God's power and working, God, Christ working in you as you obey what the Spirit says to you in the Word of God. That's how you get the Spirit working through you. That's how Christ works in you. The hope of glory. And you can do anything. Christ, Paul says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And 2 Corinthians 12.10, in 11 and 12, he says, my grace is sufficient, Jesus said. And when you're, you're, Jesus said to Paul when he was suffering with that ailment that we don't know about, he said, all right, he said to Paul, he says, my grace is sufficient for my power, my omnipotence is manifested, it's consummated in your human weakness. When we're weak, he says, then we're strong. When we're weak, then we're strong. Now we're out of the way, now God can, when we're at the end of the rope, now God can work in our lives. Too many times we get in the way of the Lord because we want to take over. We have to, as John the Baptist said, we have, John the Baptist said, uh, he must increase Christ, I must decrease. God wants less of us and more of Jesus in our lives. That's how you, you can go through anything in life. We could go through anything. Torture, you name it. Christians have done it throughout history because they went through it with the power of the Spirit. And this is what Paul's saying. I've done this. I've fulfilled the task that Christ gave me. I'm ready for a new phase of my life. Remember I told you about Crossroads? Paul is ready for a new phase of his life. He doesn't know exactly everything, what's going to happen, but he does know that he is going to go to Rome. Spirit's telling him. He is going to go to Spain. The Spirit's told him. We know that because of what he says in verse 24 this evening. Now look at verse 20. And thus I aspire to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named or known, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to support what he just said, he quotes Isaiah 52, 15, they who had no news of him, the Gentiles, news of Christ, shall see. That talks about, it's a metaphor, it's, it's figurative for faith in Christ. And they who have not heard shall understand. For this reason, Paul says, because of his ministry to the Gentiles, he was working. I have often been prevented from coming to you, delayed by the Holy Spirit as we saw. But now, and now he's going to give two reasons why he was confident that he was going to see the Roman believers. He gives these two reasons in verse 23. But now, with no further place for me in these regions, or we could say because there's no further place for me in these regions. Why? Because he fulfilled the task of proclaiming the gospel from Jerusalem to Illyricum. And because or since I have had for many years a longing to come to you whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you. Solicit their help. Give me my, I need money. I need material because I got to go to Spain and evangelize that. Notice that he had no qualms of asking for financial help. Look, he goes on to say, he says, and when I, he says in verse 24, whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. Now, when the phrase, whenever I go to Spain, that phrase is a temporal clause, an indefinite temporal clause, and it's connected to the statement, I hope to see you in passing, which indicates that Paul is expressing his desire to see the Roman Christians in passing whenever he goes to Spain. That means his ultimate destination and goal is Spain. Why? Because his job is an apostle to the Gentiles to a church plant. There was already a church in Rome. 
a flourishing church, probably there for decades. Now, the ESV has the trans, interprets this translation of verse 23 and 24 a little bit better than the New American Standard. Look, it says it on the board in, in the ESV. That's the English Standard Version. You can get this free online, too. Uh, they have it online. So they have the study Bible online for free. But look at, they translate this verse. It's a little bit closer to the original. And then I'll show you mine. Look at verse 23. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, let me show you quickly my translation of these three verses. Verses 22, 23, and 24 on the board. It says in verse 22, Consequently, for this reason, I have been habitually delayed these many times, namely from entering into the company of each and every one of you. However... Now, because at the present time I no longer possess an opportunity in these regions, and in addition, because I possess a passionate desire for a period of many years to enter into the company of each and every one of you, I, in fact, am absolutely certain and confidently expect to see each and every one of you for myself while passing through Rome, whenever I will be permitted to travel to Spain, and in addition, to be helped on my journey there by all of you as a corporate unit when I first temporarily enjoyed your company. Now, the temporal clause, whenever I go to Spain, is connected to the statement, I hope to see you in passing, as I said before. And it's not connected to the previous causal clause at the end of verse 23, because the latter statement is connected to the two causal participial clauses in verse 23, forming a complete thought. So the two statements, what I'm saying there, in verse 23, those two statements are connected together, and together they're connected to verse 24. So the two statements in verse 23 that you see in your Bibles go together and they're connected to the first uh, the statement whenever I go to Spain in verse 24, for I hope to see you in passing. Remember, the two statements in verse 23 are telling us the reason why Paul was had the hope of seeing the Roman believers. What does he say in verse 23? I have no more work to do here in these regions, Jerusalem to Illyricum, I fulfilled the proclaim I proclaim the gospel. I fulfilled the task that Christ gave me. Also, I have a passionate desire to see you. Those are the two reasons why he was confident that he was going to go to see them in Rome. When he says I go, if you look at verse 24, he says, Whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing, and to be helped on my way there by you when I first enjoyed your company for a while. The phrase I go is the present passive subjunctive form of the verb poevama, which is used literally of going from one place to another, and it means to travel. Now, the present tense of the verb is a futuristic present. Why is that important, Paul, uh, Bill? I'll tell you why. Because it described Paul's certainty that he'll travel to Spain. So if you look at this verse, this is why I say, going back to the original language, it tells you a lot more. You, you get what the Spirit is saying. Whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing, remember the word hope there? Talks about confidence. Not, oh, maybe I will, maybe I won't. That's not what the original word says. When he says, I, whenever I go, the word go is in the present tense. It's a futuristic present. It's talking about Paul's certainty that he's going to get there. He's going to go to Spain. He's certain that he's going to go to Spain. Now, the passive voice, as I said before, is a divine passive. What does that mean? The passive voice means this, that let's say uh, I'm the subject. Bill is the subject. Now, let's say Joan 
is going to be... Sorry, John, I'm going to have to throw you in here. Joan takes the shot at me. She hits me with a right hook. Okay, or my neighbor Donna, my neighbor who likes to bang on my door and drive me crazy. She bangs, she hits me. <laughs> she hits me. Now, I'm the subject and I'm getting hit. The, the, sub, the passive voice means that the subject is receiving something. So let's say Donna is hitting me or Joan, maybe both are hitting me together, we never know. But that means I'm the subject, I'm, the passive voice means that I'm receiving an action from somebody. Now here, the verb, when it says, whenever I go to Spain, the word go is in the passive voice. It's a divine passive. And it indicates that Paul will travel to Spain when he's permitted by the Spirit and the will of God, as indicated by the prepositional phrase, by the will of God, that appears in verse 32. Look at the, Go down to that section of Romans 15. Look at Romans 15. Look at verse 30. Romans 15.30 Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. means fight together. That I may be rescued from those who were disobedient in Judea. That prayer was answered. The book of Acts records that. And that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. And that was, Acts says that was, uh, it was accepted. Verse 32 So that I may come to you with joy because I finished the job by the will of God. And who reveals the will of God to us, people? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. How does he do that? Through the Word of God. Through people who have got godly viewpoint. Not your bartender who's listening to you crying in your beer. No. He, he speaks to people who have godly viewpoint that are filled with the Spirit. He speaks to us through people who know their Bibles. He is speaking to us through circumstances, but primarily it's through the Word of God. And so we see that that's why Paul's, that's why you see in the Bible in Ephesians 40, 4.30, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't hinder the Holy Spirit, quench the Spirit, 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Don't lie to the Spirit as Ananias and Sapphira did in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit is that person who speaks to us. He's speaking to each one of us right now. Hey, when I'm teaching... The Spirit will teach, tell me something up here while I'm in the process of teaching. Gene, you teach the kids. Doesn't he do that? Isn't that amazing? It's like, and also tell you another thing, when you're teaching and you're in your zone, time flies or you might be sitting here and go, boy, remember that class? That was, it flew by. Hey, it happens to me. Time like stands still. But you're like, you feel like you're in, a, in they call, I like to call it a zone for lack of a better expression. But the Spirit is speaking to us. And the Spirit was speaking to Paul. You're going to go to Spain. When he says, whenever I go to Spain, in verse 24, that, the indefiniteness, doesn't it sound indefinite whenever? But that's not what it's, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying, oh, I might go or I might not go. The indefiniteness is because, not because he doesn't think he's going to get there. The indefiniteness is, I don't know how long it's going to take me to be in Jerusalem. I don't know. I don't know how long that all process is going to take. As it turns out, he wrote Romans in, uh, in, in Corinth in fifty-seven A.D. As I said before, well, he gets there three years later to Rome as a prisoner of the Roman government. He knew he was going to get there, but how and what means and every the details he didn't know. So when he says, "Whenever I go to Spain," that doesn't mean he didn't. He had doubts of whether he was going to get there. He just has doubts of how long it's going to take him to deliver the gift. Now, you could have never, unless, unless you were paying attention to the context and everything, and you knew a little bit of the original language, you'd never get that. 
That's my job to dig these things out, people. So if I, if I, if you have to bear with me and pay attention. Sometimes I have to go back to the original language. Okay, because that's what Holy Spirit inspired. And I know it's difficult for some people, but you know what? You know, kids, you can teach kids languages, and there's no problems. I'm not teaching a Greek class or a Hebrew class. There's technical language in everything we do. If you're in sports, there's technical language. When you're a, when you, when you're a carpenter, there's technical language. When you're a plumber, when you're a farmer, there's technical language. I can't believe the technical language in farming, talking to some farmers. But we, can, we, we tolerate that technical language in our business, but when it comes to the Word of God, we don't want technical language. That's arrogance. You've got to be, you've got to have an active mind. You can't just sit there like a lot of people in churches and go, okay, I can't wait till this gets over because you might as well not even have come. You should have just gone out with your boyfriend or your girlfriend and done something else, gone dancing. Or watch Dancing with the Stars, big deal. That's boring. Now that Pam Anderson got knocked off, who cares? But passive voice here. Let's not get distracted here. I know the ladies get upset when I mention Pam. Whenever I go to Spain, that doesn't talk about the indefiniteness of this clause. It's not, it's not, he's not talking about there's doubt whether I'm going to get to Spain. He knows he's going to get to Spain. The certainty of it is expressed with the futuristic present tense of the verb, I go there. And also, the indefiniteness is what? I don't know how long it's going to take me to deliver this gift. Remember, he just said in the chapter, I got to go to Macedonia with a gift. Keep, uh, go back to Romans 15. Look at Romans 15. Look at verse 20, uh, verse, verse 25, 15, 25. But now I'm going to Jerusalem. It's my next thing on the agenda, serving the saints. Why? For Macedonia and Achaia, that means the Gentile believers there, have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem material and, and financial. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they're indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they're indebted to minister to them also in material things. Therefore, when I have finished this, I, and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs, I will go to Spain by way of you. See? So we see that Paul, there's no doubt he's going to Spain. He just doesn't know how long it's going to take him in Jerusalem. And as it turns out, it's three years that it took to get to Rome. And he got to Rome, not, not as a free man, but as a, slave, as, a, as a prisoner of the Roman government. Now, Spain. Where is Spain? When he says, whenever I go to Spain in verse 24, Spain is a large peninsula in southwestern Europe known since Roman times as Hispania. Now, some people might not know their geography, but uh, we, I'll, I'll show you where Spain is on the map in a little while. Spain actually is a very beautiful country from what I heard. A friend of mine used, went to, had his honeymoon there. Tradition, maybe I'll go there for my honeymoon. <laughs> Tradition describes the evangelization of Spain to Paul and James. That's what tra- uh, tradition has in the church. However, the earliest record of Spanish organization of Christianity is a letter of Cyprian in 254 AD. Now, Christianity, it, from church history, we find... Christianity spread throughout the peninsula by the end of the 3rd century as attested by the martyrdoms of Spanish Christians and the persecution under Diocletian. Diocletian was a wicked ruler. He had most, you know, a lot of the, uh, the, the copies of the New Testament were burned because of this guy. He put this edict out to have Christians, the, by, uh, the New Testament, the writings of the Christians, uh, burned. And a lot of them, Christians died hiding these things. And uh, we lost a lot of manuscripts that way, but we still have a wealth of manuscripts anyways, regardless of the, the persecution. But Diocletian, 
he, uh, he actually persecuted a lot of Spanish Christians, church history tells us. So the, the, the Spanish had, uh, there were a couple of Roman emperors, I think Trajan was, a, was, a, was Spanish. So Spain had contributed a lot to the Roman Empire later on in its history. Now here's a map of, uh, of the spread of Christianity in the first and second centuries. The, those shaded in green on the map, that tells us the spread of Christianity in the Roman Empire. Now if you look at here in the bottom of your, on the bottom, yeah, the bottom right hand of the map, you see there's Jerusalem. That's where Paul got his commission, as we've seen. And then he went up to Syria, Antioch. He, he evangelized all this region, Cappadocia, keep going west to uh, Thrace, Macedonia. That's where the Philippians and the Thessalonians were. And he went all the way up to here to Lyricum. Now when he says, he, remember, he didn't just go a straight shot. He had to go back and forth. Remember, he would hit Corinth. He would go to somewhere else, come back to Corinth later, or maybe send a letter, send somebody like Timothy. And he did that. So he did all, he did all this, all this region. He did that with a bunch of people. And some of which he mentions in Acts 16. So Illyricum is the farthest he went. That was the farthest he could go uh, at that time in the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire extended in the first century to, in the northern part to Illyricum. So there we have it. And he is, uh, now we keep going west. Uh, if you look at actually below Illyricum, you see Italia. That's, of course, where Rome is. Now, if you keep going west, there's Hispania. And that's where he wanted to go. He was going to hop a boat. He was going to go across uh, the sea here. And he was going to stop in Hispania. And that whole peninsula right here, Spain, he was going to evangelize. They hadn't heard about Christ yet there. He was going to go there. That's why he was going to go there. They hadn't heard about Jesus of Nazareth yet. So uh, that's what Paul's plans were, was to go to Spain. And as we see, when he says, whenever I go to Spain, the whenever doesn't mean uh, maybe I'll go, maybe I won't. It, it, it's, it's actually talking, I don't know what time exactly I'm going to get there. I'm confident I'm going to get there, but I don't know the exact time when I'm going to get there. Now, the word uh, I hope, that's the key part of the, the, the whole passage. He says in verse 24, whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you. Now, this is why, as I said earlier, we go back to the original. Hope, it, it has some doubt in it, okay? So, therefore, when we look back at the original, we see that the word doesn't mean hope, and it, has no, a negative, it doesn't have a, a connotation where there's some doubt in it. It talks about confidence. And the word hope there is the present active indicative form of the verb alpizo, which means to confidently expect something, thus indicating that Paul confidently expects to see the Roman believers while passing through whenever he's permitted by the Spirit and the will of the Father to go to Spain. So if you looked at your English Bibles and you read that, the first thing I ever thought when I was a Christian, before I started looking at the Bible in its original languages, or listening, studying into somebody who taught me these things and was going to the original language, hope always, I always found it, why is hope such a good thing? Because it always seems like doubt. For me, hope is, you know, doubt involved. I hope I, I hope I, I hope I get this job. I hope I make a lot of money. I hope she goes out with me. I hope he goes out with me. Stuff like that. It, there's some doubt involved in the English language with the word hope. That's not the word in the, in the original. Now, why do the translators do that? As I said before, they want, a lot of times they want their publications to be, they have publishers to please, and they want to sell these things. There's a lot of money involved. And also, uh, they're afraid to step out and translate it the way it is because some people like the word hope and they might not buy the Bible because they're using a different word than hope. Like faith, hope, and love. 
right? First Corinthians 13. Well, if you took hope out of there, faith, hope, and confidence. <laughs> People say, what's that? That doesn't sound like the Bible. Well, no, that is the Bible. That's the Bible in the original languages. So that's why it's so very important that we take a, a, a peek into the original language because that's the language that was inspired by God. Now, to see, uh, that word is the word theoma, and that word theoma means to visit, and the Roman belie- it means to visit the Roman believers in the sense of going to see them in, the person, in person on the basis of their friendship and with helpful intent. Uh, this word means more than to see. It means to visit them and also on the basis of friendship. And he wanted to help them. Hold your place. Look at Romans chapter 1. He conveys this idea of helping them in Romans chapter 1. Look at Romans chapter 1. And look at verse 8. We, we touched on this last evening. For another reason. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 8. They are omeh. That's the word translated to see here. And it actually means visit. So, look at verse 8. Romans 1, 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. Because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. The Roman Empire. Not China. China didn't inherit Christianity yet. It's talking about, he's talking about, it's hyperbole. He's actually talking about just the Roman Empire. For God whom I serve in my spirit, in the preaching of the gospel of his son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you. Now, you never met them. So, you can pray for people that you've never met before. You should, as I mentioned last evening, you should put people, if you heard of ministries, heard of them, Hey, Chuck Swindoll, do you pray for Chuck Swindoll? Do you pray for Jared, David Jeremiah? Why don't you? You should. If you know who they're Christians and they're teaching the word of God and their ministries, you should pray for them. Hear another, another pastor, pray for them. If you know that another Christian, pray for them. Put them on your prayer list. And you'll find yourself praying for a long time sometimes. <laughs> you'll have a big prayer list. Look at verse 10. Always in my prayers, he does this, making a request, if perhaps now at last by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you. The word long means I passionately desire to see you. So that I may impart some spiritual, not gift, but blessing to, to you. That you may be established. Meaning, when I teach you the word of God, the gospel, you'll be blessed. See, he's saying, when you give the gospel, you're blessing somebody. Do you realize you're being blessed right now? That's the word of God. You're being blessed by the spirit. You're blessed by the word of God. Now look at verse 12. That is that I may be encouraged together with you, while among you, each of us, by the other's faith, both yours and mine. But notice verse 11. He's going to, he wants to see them because he, of their friendship he has through correspondence. He never met them. And also with helpful intent. He want, the word to see, as we, in Romans 15, 24, is talking about visiting somebody, but with, on the basis of a friendship, and also with the idea of helping these people. That's what it means. Now go back to Romans 15, 24. So Romans 15, 24, he says, Whenever I go to Spain, for I hope or I confidently expect to see you in passing. In passing is the participle form of the verb, the thea poevema, which means to travel around through an area with the implication of both extensive and thorough movement through an area. That means when Paul's saying, when I get to Rome, I intend to move around. I intend to see the city. I intend to meet the people. He, he, you know, you've got to remember, pastors, evangelists, we love to see people. 
Okay? Nothing is more discouraging than seeing no people. You want to see the people. Why? Because your job is to communicate to the human race the word of God. And you want to communicate to many people as you can. And that's where Paul went. I'm going to, he never, like for instance, I've been mentioning, if he came to Iowa, and let's say uh, he would not stop in Norway. He would go to the big population centers. He would go to Des Moines. He'd go to Cedar Rapids. He'd go to Iowa City. He wouldn't stop in Norway. He'd evangelize the biggest cities and let the Christians there evangelize the smaller counties. That's how he worked. So he wanted to see these people. And when he says in passing, he means, I want to tra- I'm going to travel through your, the city of Rome. I'm going to meet the churches that meet in the homes because they met in homes. That's what this word means. So therefore, this word indicates that Paul confidently expects to see the Roman believers while traveling or passing through Rome on his way to Spain. Now the question many scholars ask is, did Paul go to Spain? And I think you all know the answer is yes. Why? Well, the answer is yes, because Paul wrote in Romans 15, 24, the eighth part, as we saw this evening, like he did the rest of the Roman epistle, while under the inspiration and guidance of the whole, direction of the Holy Spirit. So when he says, whenever I go to Spain, I'm going to see you, the Holy Spirit inspired him to write that. And we saw that he has confidence that that's going to be the case, that he's going to get there. The language used in the verses we saw this evening makes clear that Paul did eventually go to Spain. The verb elpizo, as we saw this evening, expresses his spirit-inspired desire or confident expectation that he would see the Romans while on his way to Spain. No doubt involved. The futuristic present tense of the verbs that we saw this evening emphasize Paul's certainty that he will see the Roman believers face-to-face while passing through Rome whenever the Spirit and the will of the Father permit him to travel to Spain. Again, as I mentioned earlier, the indefiniteness of the construction. When he says, whenever I go to Spain, that sounds like there's some indefiniteness, doubt. Well, again, the indefiniteness of the construction is not due to Paul being uncertain as to whether or not he'll visit Rome, but rather the uncertainty is due to the fact that he does not know how long it will take him to finish this task in Jerusalem, dropping off the gift. Again, as we saw, it was three years that he got there. It took him three years to get to Rome. Now, Paul, he was, remember, he got imprisoned. In Acts, he gets in prison. He gets thrown in the jail. He languishes in prison in Judea. They had assassination plots. His nephew uh, uh, told him about an assassination plot that they were going to get him. And so he told the guard, and the guard gave, uh, got him out of there. And they didn't take him to the route that they were going to take him on because he was going to get killed there. So the Roman guard took him to Caesarea. He went to Agrippa and Felix, the two of the most famous people of the ancient world. He evangelized them. He went before kings just like Jesus said he would. And he evangelized kings. And then he went over, and then he said, he, eventually he said, I appeal to Caesar. And they appealed to Caesar meant he could go right to Rome, the emperor, and give his case to the emperor. And as we see the book of Philippians, he evangelized the Praetorian Guard, which is like the elite force of military in, in Rome at that time. It's like the secret service and the, the, um, uh, the, uh, the elite military forces that we have in our, in our CIA kind of all rolled into one, these guys, that wrote the Praetorian Guard. He evangelized them all. And more than likely, he evangelized Nero if he was in town. So we see that he does get to Rome. So Paul was released, and, and that was his first Roman imprisonment between 60, actually it was 57 to 62 AD. 60 to 62 AD is where he was in Rome. So Paul was released, we know, from his, pers- his first Roman imprisonment 
Because Philippians 1.25 tells us that. He expresses his confidence that he'll remain on the earth for the benefit of the spiritual progress of the Philippian church. He died in his second Rome imprisonment, church history tells us, according to 68 AD. If you read 2 Timothy, that's his last will and testament. That's the last thing he says in writing to us, to the church, before he got his head chopped off by Nero. Thus he had six years, people. He dies in 68 AD. He's released from his first Roman imprisonment in 62 AD. So he had six years to go to Spain since he was released from his first imprisonment in Rome in 62 AD. So as he's sitting in Rome, he spent a lot of time, I'm sure, plotting his journey to Spain, getting the the finances together, getting the material together so he could evangelize, getting the organization together, the people together, so he could make a trip to Spain and evangelize the peninsula that we saw here earlier this evening. While we run out of time, we'll pick this up on Sunday. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. And we pray that the Holy Spirit would challenge us with the things that we've heard, instruct us in righteousness, encourage us, Father, so that we can continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and become more and more dedicated and devoted to you. So, Father, we also pray that the Spirit would guide and direct the fellowship after service and also give us traveling mercies on the way home. In our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.